Welcome to the Friendly Pharmacy 5 podcast, the show where we explore the latest in evidence-based medicine, share expert insights, and dive into the science behind the latest health trends. I'm your host, Lindsay Dixon. Check out our YouTube channel for any illustrations or images that may be referenced on this podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Farooz Shiraz. Dr. Shiraz has created an incredible practice where he works with patients who suffer from migraine, and he helps them to find treatments to reduce the frequency of their migraine attacks. What does his practice look like? What successes and challenges has he had? I think you'll enjoy this interview with Dr. Shiraz as he lets us in on what his practice with his patients looks like and how we can understand the science of migraine better. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity for me to be on the uh, channel. So hopefully we get some uh, awareness about migraine out today and help some people out there. I was looking at how many people actually suffer from migraine. It's a quite a significant percentage. I think I saw maybe 12% or something of the population that suffers from uh, migraine. It's something that if you don't suffer from migraine, you definitely know someone who has in past or who still does. And it seems to be a phenomenon that we just don't really, we still have a lot of questions about migraine. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit from your understanding uh, about what happens to our brain when a migraine occurs? What is the, the process here that causes all these different symptoms and different experiences for people? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people who suffer from migraine and we don't really notice that until we start seeing it out there. So I'm hoping anybody who's listening and viewing this after you kind of just will start seeing everybody who suffers from migraine. It's actually way bigger than diabetes, asthma, and osteoarthritis of the knee combined. So it's a huge amount of people out there. So in regards to what happens to our brain during a migraine, the way I like to kind of tell our, my patients or explain to my patients is that there's an imbalance in metabolism that happens within the brain that kind of lowers the threshold for migraines to happen. So you might have like multiple triggers like stress or excess stress, lack of sleep, dehydration, or having too much alcohol. And when all those stressors get combined, they can trigger a, a facial nerve, actually. It's called the trigeminal nerve. Mm -hmm. So when this gets activated, it ultimately causes release of messengers in the brain, neurotransmitters. And when these messengers in the brain are released, and one of them is um, a really well-known one called CGRP. So when this is released, it causes inflammation. So inflammation around the brain. And this inflammation is felt as uh, pain around the forehead, um, back of the neck, even um, around the eyes as well. So when this happens, this is the attack that uh, many patients will suffer. There's also this chronification that can happen. So where migraine becomes chronic. So these nerves will become more and more sensitive to these stimuli, right? And they can be easily aroused. So that's can lead to chronification. I also kind of like to explain what happens during those migraine attacks. Yes. Um, so there's about four stages. So the prodrome, which can happen hours to days before the attack, it's basically a signal for the patients to say that, hey, an attack is about to happen. So in this stage, patients will have symptoms like irritability, they'll have maybe depression, or even craving for certain foods. 
like chocolate. So before, interesting fact, before a lot of people thought that having chocolate would lead to an attack, but it's actually not true. So you can have your chocolate, not a problem. It's just if you notice that you have a strong craving for chocolate, it could be a signal for you that, hey, an attack, a migraine attack might be happening in hours or days. So be aware. Hmm. So that's the first stage. The second stage is the aura. So the aura is actually not very common. Only about a third of migraine sufferers do have aura. And this is usually something that happens five minutes to 60 minutes before the attack. And most commonly, patients will say they have visual disturbances where they might have like complete loss of vision, or they might even have a little bit of spotting where they can't really see there's visual disturbances in their visual field. But other things like tingling and even ringing in their ears might be a, a sign of an aura. So that's stage two. And stage three is the attack itself. So this is something that can be pounding, throbbing, stabbing, even ice picks. Some patients will say, oh, I feel like an ice pick is in the back of my head. And this can last four to 72 hours. But besides that pain, there's also nausea, light sensitivity, and sound sensitivity that patients can have. So that's your third stage. And then finally, the fourth stage of the attack itself, when it's all done, it's the post So this is where the patient's completely wiped out after the attack. They're tired. They're basically hung over. So that's kind of how I explain it to my patients about what's happening during a migraine to the brain. That's very interesting. Does a person, when they're suffering from migraine, do does every patient go through every single phase every time? That's a very good question. So all patients won't go through the all of the stages. So some patients will skip that attack phase even. So that's called a silent migraine. So this is where they will have the prodrome, they might have an aura, they might, and they will skip the attack itself, and then they'll go directly to the prodrome. So that's a very interesting one. And each and each individual migraine sufferer will tell you that uh, it's never the same. The attack is individualized, they're individualized, so it can make migraine uh, treatment very complex. It sounds like we do understand quite a bit about migraine and about the physiological processes that occur with migraine, but we still seem to have a lot of people who really do suffer from this. And there, there does seem to be some, maybe some, are there gaps in healthcare? What is lacking for us to be able to recognize migraine and treat it adequately? Yeah. Where do I begin? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of um, gap. There's a huge gap in migraine care right now. So, I mean, if we look in Victoria, British Columbia, there's a huge lack in family physicians, something right. about everybody coming here to retire. <laughs> so there's definitely that huge lack in family physicians that uh, happens here. There's also long waits in seeing a neurologist. So you can wait up to eight to 12 months this year neurologist. But the other things are that there's a lack of awareness about migraine. So migraine is a chronic disease. Unlike other chronic disease like diabetes and asthma, for example, migraine doesn't get a lot of attention. And that could be partly because of lack of education for healthcare professionals and also patients, but it also could be something like normalizing it. So meaning that, oh, you know what, you don't die from a migraine, it just goes away on its own. So it's going to be okay. But that's not really true. Migraine can be very debilitating. And it can really have both a societal problem and a individual problem. Like if somebody who suffers from migraine, they will have other chronic conditions as well, like depression, and they can even have insomnia as well and or anxiety. And they will miss a lot of days from work. So that's 
individual problem and also societal problem. So definitely a lot of lack in that migraine care at the moment. And the other thing is a lack of support for services. So that's where, you know, we pharmacists can bridge the gap. Um, so what we can do is definitely educate the patients and empower them um, to improve their self-management. Uh, we can assess their therapy to see what they have taken before, what is currently there and optimize that therapy and really get them involved on other therapies and give them options on what is available for them and follow up. So the lack of support in that is that we pharmacists, as you know, we don't have billing codes, so we don't really get reimbursed for our services. So that's the, something that needs to change for sure. And also third-party insurances. So it doesn't have to be something directly from the government, but third-party insurances won't allow pharmacists to be to bill for their consults. So I'm trying to get all of that somewhat changed by raising awareness about this and also working with Migraine Canada to create a migraine educator certification so that we can help our patients and we can push our profession forward as well. And what you're doing is really incredible. You are actually seeing patients from your pharma yes. out, out of your pharmacy. You are yeah. right now you are giving consults for free with the support of your employer. And you mm -hmm. are seeing that there is a huge need for this. And you have been able to help quite a few people from what I understand. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. It started off as a, you know, like, okay, a service that I wanted to do. And I kind of proposed this to the owners and they said, okay, you know what, we're pharmacists as well. We understand the impact that this can have on patients. So at, at the moment, we're not charging any patients. So this is where I see the patient on a one-on-one -on -one basis, provide them with education, collect information about what they have done before for their migraine, what they're currently doing, and then together we can optimize their therapy. So yeah, it's been empowering that patient, like I said, to get better management of, of their migraine. Yeah. And I've seen the forms that you do have people fill out and it's pretty thorough and that's needed. And it is good that the pharmacists can look at the medications because sometimes there's issues with medications as well. I would imagine that, that you can identify. Have you, do you teach people through this, how to prevent a migraine as well? Or is, is there certain things that can trigger a migraine? I think you already spoke a little bit about that, but when you sit down with people, are there certain things that you just see right away and you're like, oh, this has to change. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Absolutely. That's yeah. So when I sit down with them, I always do the non-pharmacological measures that they should be doing to just kind of tip that balance back. It's not going to cure. There's no cure to migraine, unfortunately, but it's going to these non-pharmacological things like eating. So balanced meals, not skipping meals, sleep. So you got to have uh, you got to go to bed early or early. You got to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time. So you got to keep everything pretty much the same. That also includes exercise. Too much exercise can actually, in some patients, trigger migraines. Also, migraine brain, as I like to say, doesn't really like that imbalance and also avoidance of triggers. So those are the main kind of things that I talk about, but also overusing their acute or rescue medications for migraine can lead to chronifications of more headaches uh, and migraine for sure. So those are the things that I talk about when they can do to prevent migraine. And if they do qualify for preventative medications that they can take on a regular basis, those are also things that I touch up on. So I heard that there's something called a migraine diary. Yeah. What is this? 
Dr. <laughs> Shiraz, tell us about this. Yeah, so the migraine diary is actually a tool that allows patients to track their migraine days. It's something that I always recommend to use for patients to track their migraine days, but also to evaluate the efficacy of medications that they might be taking during the time of an attack. So if they're having an attack at that moment, they can, you know, track what happened during that time, what preceding symptoms they had, what medications they took, how much of it they took, even how long the migraine lasted. So this is a nice little diary, exactly what it is to allow them to track all this and they can bring this to their appointments, which has valuable information for the healthcare professional. So for example, when a patient comes to first see me, most patients are not using a diary. I will print off some diaries for them. There are a couple of diaries that are, that are available out there. I try to use the simplest forms of it. So I believe the one I use called migraine. You know what? I'll put a link out there. I don't know what it's Yes, called. we can put the link up later for people. They can Perfect. get it. Yeah. Perfect. So it's a very simple one. It just says like, you know, date, starting duration, starting time, end time, what you have tried, how long, what the efficacy was. Uh, and it's something that I print off and I give to the patients as well. And the patients are like, oh, what is this? And I kind of go over it with them. And then when I do the follow-up, they will bring it in and we can actually see, oh, look, we have talked about this. And the hope is that we see a decrease in the migraine, either the frequency or even the severity of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard for people to remember, probably, especially if they're just, if they just had a migraine attack, what really has happened. Mm -hmm. So having that written down and being able to compare, you know, certain episodes to other episodes and what worked and what didn't is probably very helpful for them and for you and for, you know, any other healthcare professionals that they're seeing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially when we have a wait for <laughs> from like eight to 12 months for a neurologist. Right. So if you have that diary going, you have already gone through probably with the patient, yeah. this works, this doesn't work. Don't even try this. Right. And then mm -hmm. when they see that specialist they're they're that much more ready for an, an effective consult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing is that sometimes um, the hope is that the migraine diary can pinpoint uh, a trigger that they didn't know existed. Mm. So identifying trigger could also be something that the diary can do. I mean, you've had some experience in this so far. Could you tell us a little bit about a patient that you were able to help that had suffered from migraine? Yeah, you know, I want to say I have helped so many people, but one of the patients, like I mentioned first, migraine has no cure. It's about getting a patient <clears throat> to the point where they are empowered and they can, whenever they are having their migraine, they can stop it in its track and keep going and have a better quality of life. So one of the patients that really I remember um, is actually a colleague. She was suffering with migraines a lot and she's kind of a very private person. So no names or anything like that. She's very strong and she basically just took it on and dealt with it. Like most patients actually do. They just try to like keep it away from them. Like try to almost normalize it yes. and don't want to deal with it. And they say in their heads, like, hey, this is what it is. I just have to deal with it. But finally she learned that I was doing this and she was interested. I didn't force it on her or anything like that. And we discussed and she had done a lot of research. So she was really well equipped with information. And I kind of went over like, Hey, look, uh, you need to have 
abortive therapies on place and not just uh, triptan or, you know, there are three classes out there. If you're experiencing nausea, you can use this. If you're experiencing milder migraines that are coming on, you can use a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And if it's a powerful one, you can actually take your non-steroidal anti-inflammatory with the triptan and you can combine them together. So I gave her all this information and I even spoke about, you know, prophylaxis, but at that time she wasn't ready for it. So she went to see her GP, but the GP wasn't kind of with it, with the, <clears throat> with her game plan for it. And so she said, you know what, no, I'm going to go to uh, another physician. So she made like a, a Babylon Telus Health appointment and actually got the, uh, the medication. And uh, before this, she was missing a lot of days at work. And after that, she still has migraine, which has not gone away, but now she can take her medication at the onset and function. Um, so it's really nice to see that, you know, by giving patients this kind of empowerment, they can make their choices. And one of the, one of the interesting things is patients understanding that, hey, I can see other GPs or I can see other people and get the help I want to. It really puts them at that driver's spot and they can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that sometimes maybe some care providers might just jump to just giving a patient a triptan and that's mm-hmm. the end of the converse, the conversation. Yeah. And whenever they have the migraine, you just take that and that's kind of where it is. But you're talking about prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. You're talking about anti-inflammatories. What do you generally see used as prophylaxis for patients? Yeah. So the most common one, so there's a few prophylaxis out there. The most common ones are the older drugs, mm-hmm. um, just because they have been around for such a longer time. So they have better evidence, but not to say that the the other ones don't. So I will see things like blood pressure medications that are used mm-hmm. like metoprolol or propanolol, mm-hmm. which do have good evidence for use in prophylaxis. I'll also see other things like anti-epileptic medications like topiramate or even valproic acid and even antidepressants like nortriptyline. So those do have good evidence for it, but you always have to take the patient into account. So for mm-hmm. example, this patient, uh, I knew that her other history included anxiety. So I did recommend, you know, venlafaxine, which has poor evidence, but it is has some evidence in helping with uh, prophylaxis for migraine, but also treating her anxiety as well. So things like that, where you have a few options and you can take the patient that's in front of you and kind of tailor it to them. And then there are newer treatments like injectables. Uh, I know one of the ones is on a botulin toxin A, which is an older one, which is uh, Botox. Yeah. So that is definitely something that uh, has evidence for chronic migraine. So the indication for that one is very particular. It has to be chronic migraine and it's given by a specialist trained in that. And it's given like at three month interval. The newer medications are self-injectable and they kind of work on that neurotransmitter, the CGRP. So either they block it or they block the receptor uh, in which it acts. So that's how it works to reduce the frequency and or severity of the migraines. Hmm. Very interesting. And what about, so we've talked about non-drug measures measures, and we've talked about some uh, pharmacologic options, vitamins, supplements. Is there anything that you've seen to help or even to hurt as far as migraines go? Yeah. So in regards to like natural health products, the evidence is 
pretty poor out there, but there's some that have some uh, like okay evidence. I will put it that way. So the ones that I usually recommend will be magnesium citrate or glycinate at a dose of 600 milligram per day. Now this one has common side effects really to the gut. So a lot of diarrhea. So I always mm -hmm. say start slow. And then once you're tolerating it, you can get up to the dose of 600 milligram per day. And I usually will say you have to use it for at least three three months to kind of notice some efficacy if it will have some. The other one is a B vitamin called vitamin B2, which is riboflavin. It usually comes in hundred milligram per tablet, but the dose that you want to get to is 400 milligram per day. Now this one's actually really well tolerated because it's a water soluble vitamin. Mm -hmm. So it kind of leaks out of your urine and can discolorate your urine, which is a common side effect. It's like a highlight yellow urine, which mm -hmm. can be alarming, but that's pretty much it with that one. And the other one that I do recommend is coenzyme Q10. So this one is about the dose you want to get to is 300 milligram per day. Now for these three natural health products, the mechanism is not really well understood. We think that it might help or has a role in energy metabolism, but the evidence again, is not the best out there, but these are the ones that I will always recommend just because they're quite well tolerated and doesn't have a lot of like interactions with medications. There are some other ones that I don't recommend like Feverfew for a few reasons. So that one is another natural health products has some evidence, but if you get the wrong kind, it can actually cause damage to your liver. And it's also not really readily available. So I kind of just steer away from that. I usually go with these first three. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. And just a reminder to people, we are not recommending you take any of these medications. You should see your pharmacist or your healthcare provider, but you can note these down and talk to a healthcare professional next time you go in and see them and see if it's appropriate for you. Because we know that different medications, different therapies, and dependent on the patient, there could be interactions or there could be certain contraindications for you. So, but these are some really good tips that could, we could, people could write down and take into their healthcare professional. Yeah, that's really good. I had heard about magnesium. I had not heard about the fever few. So yeah, that's really interesting. When you are seeing a patient, how long do you see them for? And what are the goals of the consultation? The goal of these consults is really to help reduce the frequency and or severity of the migraine, really improve quality of life for the patient and really empower them, give them the knowledge so that they can make their treatment themselves much better. So that's kind of what I'm trying to achieve. But yeah, migraine is a very difficult and complex chronic uh, illness to manage. And it really requires like a team approach. So you might have to see me a couple of times. Uh, I did have a patient who was already being seen by a specialist, which is awesome. And she still wanted to come and see me. And at that time, she was having a few migraine. And afterwards, um, she actually had no migraines. So I can't take all of the credit for that one, but I'm going to say maybe she was more inclined to follow through with her non-pharmacological measures and keep taking her medications regularly. So that's excellent. That's excellent. I mean, if you can even help one patient, right? I mean, it is so rewarding just to mm -hmm. see that and the change in their quality of life. And you can take that as a win, Dr. Shress. We'll, <laughs> we'll give you credit for that one for sure. <laughs> no, yeah. But what you said is true. Just empowering the patient with knowledge. Because a lot of the patients that do come see me, they just, they're like, mm, like, I didn't have an idea that besides sumatriptan, I had other options. Uh, yes. most uh, healthcare professional will say, yep, sumatriptan, like you were saying, a triptan 
here yeah. is your Sumitra pen, goodbye. So when I give them the chart and then they're like, wow, there are options. So for example, patients who have chronic chronic pain, uh, I'll be like, oh, hey, have you tried this amitriptyline over here? They're like, oh, what is that for? Or if they have issues sleeping, oh, do you have that? So they love it, that the fact that they have knowledge. And this is the great thing I think about the pharmacy is that people can come in and just see you. You're, you're very accessible. I mean, I know you're probably appointment based for these types of consults, but they can just come in and talk to a healthcare professional that is knowledgeable and can look at their medications and really assess the whole situation. So I think this is just such a, an ideal thing for pharmacists to do is, and to be able to help people that are really suffering. No, for sure. It's a, yeah, pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professionals. It's a gift and a curse at the same time. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, you'll be interrupted uh, like all the time by your teammates, by a patient, which is fine. You know, like that's what makes us so great as how accessible we are. From Mondays to Sundays, a patient can pick up the phone and call us from open to close and they'll have an answer, you know, like a medical answer. And and that's why I think it's, there's so many gaps in healthcare right now. And I think that utilizing pharmacists to fill these gaps is, it's not just something that is great. I think it's something that is necessary and could change lives and really have a huge impact on healthcare. So, you know, you just doing this, uh, having the support of your employer to be able to move this forward, even without funding right now, I think mm-hmm. speaks volumes. And I, I really hope that you do have success and then eventually <laughs> also get funding and maybe we'll get a, maybe we'll get a billing number one day. Right. Yeah. Honestly, uh, so yeah we can do more right. of this. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It, it, these things can happen. It's not unheard of. I mean, if you look at Alberta, the pharmacists there enjoy like a whole scope of practice. They can prescribe medications yes. on their own. If they're comfortable with it. If they have that designation, they can actually inject Botox for both cosmetics and migraine treatment as well. So what we in British Columbia will need is all of us coming together, all of us pharmacists coming together and say, hey, we need to do this, not just for ourselves, but our patients need us, especially mm-hmm. during the times that we're in right now. So yeah, we all got to stick together. Yes, definitely. Dr. Shiraz, I have some questions from the audience here. Are you up to taking a few questions? Oh, definitely. I hope uh, I can answer them. I'll do my best. Apologies if I don't give the answer that you're looking for, but I'll do my best. That's okay. We just ask you to do your best. (laughs) Okay. So first one here, why do some women suffer from cyclical migraines and how would you approach this pattern of migraine? Say a woman who gets a migraine every month, maybe around the time of ovulation or something like that. Yeah. So to answer the question simply, we don't really exactly know. But we do know that hormone uh, plays a lot, like hormone has a huge role in this. So as you were saying, that's called uh, menstrual migraine. So some uh, women will experience uh, migraine, especially during her menstrual cycle. So for those, there are some treatments available. So uh, for example, like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, they can start that a couple of days before and continue it. If they do want to use a triptan, they can do the same thing a couple of days before and continue it for a couple of days after. And that's one way of doing that. But what we do notice is that the, and it's kind of evident from women who experience migraine when they enter different stages of their life and how the, their hormones change it can affect their migraine. So for example, a postmenopausal woman, for some of them, their migraine will just subside and things just get better. But for others, things can get worse. So it's such a 
complex and individualized illness. So we don't really know exactly why, but we do know that hormone changes uh, definitely has a huge role in that. And does that apply to other hormones like thyroid issues or any other endocrine issues that you have come across? Or have you heard anything about that? I honestly haven't heard about it, but I would assume so that there's some things going on. We just need more research on that and more education on that to see what else is going on there. If people are suffering from migraines, uh, what are some resources where they could go for help? I think Migraine Canada is, is an entity you're working with. You said they are quite good. Absolutely. So migrainecanada.org is probably the first place to go. <clears throat> they have so much information out there. They have like even a migraine test that they can do if they're not sure before they're going to see their physician to see if they do have migraine or not. <clears throat> so it's something simple that they can do. There's also uh, all the treatments that we're talking about here. They have it laid out in a tree in a really nice visual oh, nice. format. So that's yeah. really great. And they have health information, not just for patients, but also other healthcare professionals as well. So migrainecanada.org is a great place to go to. Interestingly enough, the chair of Migraine Canada, Dr. LaRue, actually published a book called Migraine More Than a Headache. We can put a link to that. Mm-hmm. I am in no way a Selling these books, <laughs> but it's a great book for both, uh, again, healthcare professionals and patients just because of the language uh, that it's written in. So it's a great resource to uh, have for patients who suffer for it or su- suffer with migraine or um, other healthcare professionals who are interested in um, helping patients with migraine. Mm-hmm. And I recently learned that the terminology for migraine is not migraine headache. It's not mm-hmm. to be associated with headache really anymore. It's migraine. It's its own entity. As you said, it's a, it's its own chronic illness, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think partly because we want to get away from normalizing it. Yes. Um, so that's definitely a good thing. Okay. Another question. Is there any link between gut health and migraines? That's a great question. Again, I don't really know the answer, but what I do know and what we know is that during a migraine attack, the gut actually stops moving. So, right, yes. And, and things slow down. So, this is why, like, patients will complain of like nausea and even vomiting and this icky feeling during their migraine attack. Some patients will tell me, you know what, that feeling is way worse than the actual pain. So, in regards to like gut health and migraine, I'm sure there's something going on. But again, I don't really know. So more research needs to be done in that area to see if that, hey, yes, there is something there. And maybe that could be a, a target for treatment. And gut health is something that I think we're really just on the cusp of learning a lot about. Um, but that's a good point, too, that if people are experiencing nausea with their migraine, it could be more related to the gastrointestinal effects of the attack rather than the actual migraine itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Although I guess it's all linked, but yeah, it's all linked. It's all linked. Exactly. <laughs> it's all linked. Uh, okay. So let's see here. Are there certain types of diets that leave people more prone to migraine? Again, same kind of train of thought. I, what I usually say is like, uh, the patients that I speak to is I ask them triggers. What are the triggers that you identify? So some patients will say, you know what food additives, some food additives mm. are you know, for them, it's a trigger. So they will know to really pay attention to that. So what I usually say is like using the diary, figure out your trigger, especially when it comes down to diet. But I haven't really pinpointed a single diet that can cause more migraine or not. But yeah, that's definitely something uh, to keep learning about. 
is there any correlation between CRP, so that's C-reactive protein that is sometimes measured in the blood to measure levels of inflammation, or ferritin levels and migraines? That's another question that it's, these questions are really hard. <laughs> but, <laughs> My audience is very well educated. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I honestly don't know uh, yeah. C-reactive protein and the ferritin. I've I think I got something similar in from a patient once and I couldn't find anything. Uh, I looked into all the resources that it was available and I really couldn't find anything that definitely said that, yes, there is a correlation. And again, we'll have to, that, that's, that's why there's so many unknowns about migraine so far. Mm-hmm, but these mm-hmm. are good questions and I would definitely like to know the answers to them for sure. Is magnesium beneficial for some people? Now you did mention that one earlier, that is something that you use, although there is the gastrointestinal side effects, you have to be careful with that one, right? Exactly. So just like I mentioned, magnesium can be beneficial for some patients. The evidence is not the best, but there's some evidence. You do want to start at a lower dose for that one. So the dose that you want to optimally get to is about 600 milligram per day. But if you can tolerate only 300 or even 150, that's fine. You can use it. You want to use it on a regular basis for at least three months before saying, no, it doesn't work. And you want to go with the citrate or the glycinate format, because that's the one that it has the best evidence for. Okay. Oh, that's really good. And it's important. You've mentioned that a couple of times that for some of these things, we really need to see you using it for at least about three months to know because so many of us just want results right away. And if we don't get them, we'll be tempted to just kind of stop. So that's really good uh, guidance there. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Myself too. You know, there's things that whatever happens or if I'm like, oh, uh, I'm going to try this thing and it doesn't work instantaneously. I'm like, oh, but no, we have to keep uh, reminding ourselves that this is a process and uh, we got to keep at it. So when they use Botox, how is that used? How is that effective uh, for migraine? Yeah, so uh, Botox or onobotulinum toxin A, um, basically it paralyzes those nerves. You can think about it that way. So when they do inject it, they have a particular protocol that they use, preempt protocol, I believe it's what it's called. Specifically, they inject it in a few spots and uh, that's supposed to uh, paralyze the nerve or make the nerves less reactive mm-hmm. that can lead to those migraines. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the mechanism as I as I understand it. Yeah. And I was going to just reiterate, that's not something that is used immediately. They usually, that's kind of a, you know, not a last resort maybe, but you know, we have to have more of an understanding of what exactly is going on and, you know, whether usually it's like trial of uh, other medications before, especially for like coverage purposes from insurance companies. Mm. Uh, So that usually is, I believe, a criteria. Yeah, you're right. Well, this has been very, very good, Dr. Shraz. So if people are listening and they're suffering from chronic migraine or they know someone who is, is there any advice or anything further you'd like to leave us with today? Uh, honestly, there's a lot of people out there who are suffering with migraine. You're not alone. And things you can do is, you know, keep a migraine diary. It's going to help track your migraines, especially before you go see a physician or a neurologist. What I also recommend is, you know, keep a list of what you've tried before medication wise and what you're currently taking. 
and then it's going to really help out um, when you do get the chance to see somebody for that. And if you have a chance that uh, you can fill out uh, what I call as a headache impact test, it's a hit six. It's a, basically a screening questionnaires that tells, tells you and the healthcare professional how, what kind of impact this headache or migraine is having on your daily life. So those things will really prepare you for when you see someone. Like I said, there are options out there for you. Don't give up. We are here for you. Oh, that's you wonderful. See me if you're in Victoria. Yes, if you're in Victoria, you can go see Dr. Shiraz. We are going to put the links for Dr. Shiraz in the description of this video and also the links to all of the different resources that have been mentioned here in the interview. Well, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening and I hope that people will feel more hopeful if they're suffering from migraine that there are quite a few different options and approaches and this is a way that they can be proactive and hopefully suffer from less migraine and less days off of work. Hopefully they can have an improved quality of life from uh, listening to this talk. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Shiraz. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and loved it. So it's awesome. Thanks.